Hello and welcome to the October special edition of the Double Reel Film Podcast. Regular listeners will be aware that usually we put out an uninterrupted or extended version of the special guest conversation with my son James that featured in the main episode. This is so the true nerds at the apex of the film buff ecosystem can have the complete experience of our podcast content. What we have this month is the uninterrupted version of the chat the Adamsons had about Scorsese vs. Marvel in episode 6. This isn't an extended edition as we didn't go into any further detail or other areas of conversation that needed to be edited to fit our normal episode running time. There's no extra content here, this is just presented without an intermission if that's how you prefer to listen to it. Wouldn't want to pretend we were giving you more than we really are. Going forward, the special editions may become less regular, as we're changing the format of the podcast, so the big conversation with the Adamsons won't be interrupted or split over two episodes. We'll only put up a bonus episode if there's genuinely some extra content to share, or if we do an special episode about a subject we didn't cover in a regular episode. Suggestions we've had so far are spotlights on individual directors and Elmore Leonard adaptations. We'll look into the option to do those when schedules permit. But for now, we present for your entertainment the uninterrupted special guest conversation with James Adamson from episode six. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Double Real Film Podcast Big Conversation between James Adamson and James Adamson. As always, I bring my son in, also called James, to talk about a topic we decided was interesting and worthy of a bit of time to share with our listeners as part of the podcast. So welcome aboard, James. Yeah, great to be here again. Um, we've got an interesting topic today. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, this is quite a contemporary topic in a lot of ways. It stems from some uh, discussions that happened, I, I guess, towards the end of last year, in which yeah. Martin Scorsese called out Marvel films as saying that they're, they're not really cinema. Um, he was very critical of the fact that Marvel is so dominant of, the, of the, uh, the film industry at the moment and drew a distinction between the kind of films he makes and the kind of films that seems to get made these days, which generated quite a lot of discussion. And um, at a time when we wonder what sort of future there is for film what kind of films you know are going to get made in future i think it's interesting to look at this um you know issue that was raised by you know one of the giants of cinema um so james as as i tend to do because you're um you're quite strong on building on the preparation for these topics i'm going to throw it over to you and ask you to introduce this topic where did this all come from uh, mark scorsese calling out um marvel Okay, so yeah, well, I'm on his um, New York Times article now because I don't want to misquote him or anything. So I thought that'd be the best way to go from. I've got notes as well, but um, basically, he put an opinion in the New York Times in November two thousand November the fourth two thousand and nineteen is when this was published in the New York Times, and it, it's basically responding to his quote about um, Marvel. Because um, he was asked a question about Marvel movies, and he basically just said he wasn't a big fan of them. But he was in England in October 2019, and he just says, "I've tried to watch a few of them, and that they're not for me. That they seem to be, they seem to me to be closer to theme parts than they are to movies, as I've known and loved them throughout my life. And that, in the end, I don't think they're cinema." Um. So the reason he's said this is that you know, he says, basically trying to say some people have seized, seem to have seized on the last part of my answer as insulting as evidence or as evidence of hatred for Marvel on my part. If anyone's intended on characterising my words in that light, there's nothing I can do to stand in the way. Um, and he doesn't really address that point further on, but he, the point he's making is that he grew up with the classic directors of, you know, your Hitchcock. He, he waxes lyrically about... What, what, he, what was the phrase? Wax lyrical. About um, Alfred Hitchcock, you know, the you know it was an event going to see all his films. And um, basically his reasoning is that his Marvel films are totally different to the stuff he likes to watch. So things like 
film like The Steel Helmet by Sam Fuller, Persona by Ingmar Bergman, It's Always for Weather by Gene Kelly. It's, he's just he's just talking about different art for art, for art films he sees in the art form. Um, but yeah, he, his reasoning is is that he feels like Marvel films don't have any risk, nothing's on the line, which I thought was a bit of a strange comment. Um, but yeah, he just doesn't see them as like the traditional contemporary cinema. You know, I mean, you know, you know, the classic cinema of you know films that are made, I suppose, in a different formula to yeah. Marvel films. And I feel like that that's his problem with it. It's that Marvel films tend to follow a formula and they're a bit samey. Um, but I I don't know where I properly sit on this. Um, I don't know about you. Yeah, so um, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I might as well get my obligatory Mark Kermode reference in early. Um, and on the Mark Kermode uh, BBC Radio 5 film programme, there was an interview with Chadwick Boseman um, because he had uh, the late lamented Chadwick Boseman, I should say, because um, he had a film out, um, uh, 21 Bridges, towards the end of last year, and they had him on and they thought they'd asked a question. Uh, given that he uh, was playing Black Panther as well and was obviously a mainstay of Marvel and asked him what he thought. He gave a very thoughtful response, which which is not to say he's had the final word on it, but I thought it was very interesting that his response revolved around partly saying, well, he can't ignore what Martin Scorsese says because he's a cinematic genius. He's one of the greats of the art form. So if he's got a concern, you've got to listen. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. Um, he, did, he did point out that, you know, not in a... Not in a bitchy way. I don't know if you ever heard any interviews with Chadwick Boseman. He's very kind of. He was always very. I'm still getting used to talk about him in the past tense. Horrible, he was yeah. always very um, balanced and. Yeah, and he was. In layman's terms, he was sound. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he said that you know, bear in mind that Martin Scorsese's got a film out at the moment, and he wasn't saying it to be bitchy to say that Scott Martin Scorsese was being. Um, uh, controversial for the sake of it, but it is a fair point that Martin Scorsese is kind of. You know, you know, on on the campaign trail for his own film. Um, but he also said something interesting that was Scorsese's uh, in the middle of re- releasing a film at the time, The Irishman. You know, principally on Netflix, which is a completely new way uh, of films being released. Yeah, I was really bringing that up. But, yeah. You know, the, the cinema is different to how it used to be. It's one of those things, isn't it? Um, and at the same time, he sort of said maybe he has a point about kind of, you know, some Marvel films. Uh, he can't really comment on those other films, but he, he didn't feel those criticisms held true of Black Panther because he felt that ha- Black Panther held up as a, a really good film, you know, I- I- in its own right. So which kind of doesn't I'm, – I'm throwing that in there to start the conversation rather than end it because I think what it's saying was you can't just dismiss Scorsese. He's made some of the greatest films of all time. Yeah? Yeah. Um, by the same token, there is a defense of Marvel in there to say, you know, there are some really good Marvel films out there. So um, it's not it's not an easy question to just say yes or no to. Um, but what should we do? Should we talk about where Martin Scorsese is coming from or what we think of Marvel? Which one of those should we take? Um, I think we'll do the, the Scorsese bit first. I would like to preface this with the fact that he didn't really want to talk about Marvel. He was asked a question about Marvel. And he just gave his response. And people are forgetting that he's allowed to have an opinion and we're allowed to disagree with it. Um, but yeah. he, he, he didn't want to bring this up. Obviously, he was promoting The Irishman. He was like, oh, yeah, I, don't, I don't think there's cinema. It's a very strange way to say you don't like a certain film. Like, you know, I've I, you know, I've not liked heaps of films and it's not, I've like gone, 
Chris Stapp saying, oh, that's not cinema. And I think it's it's a strange when it's a strange way to look at it because if you look, should we go to the worst films on IMDb? You know, they've got the top 250 and then they've got the bottom 250. Okay. I think it's very strange to call Marvel not cinema. I think that's a weird way for him to say that he doesn't like those films. Because I feel like it's just a completely irrelevant discussion to be having. I don't know if just the, the current situation with everything going on. I just feel like there's bigger things to be worrying about. And, and you know, like in, in terms of cinema, you know, making sure people get fair pay. There's obviously that other story about Chadwick Boseman. Did you see that with Sienna Miller? Yeah. Where he donated his salary so she could get paid what she deserved. I feel like yeah. there's more things to worry about than saying it's not cinema. So I don't, I don't really know where where he's coming from with that that view. I don't understand why that's. Like, you can say you don't like a certain type of film, but um, I mean, wh- where I think he might have been coming from on that is all right. Look, there is an element of Martin Scorsese is obviously genuinely an, an older director. He, you know, he made probably his first great film, you know, the year I was born, so quite a long time ago. Um, Which one's that? Uh, taxi drive, uh, not taxi drive, sorry, Mean Streets in 1972. Mm-hmm. So he's had like a 40-odd year film career. Um, I think it, it's not entirely surprising that someone who has been around that long looks at the way things are, you know, more than a generation later and, and, and feels like it's not the way things were when he was younger. Do you know what I mean? There's always going to be an element of that. It sounds like an old man saying, oh, back in my day, you know, we made films. So, like, like, you know, and look, and I think we're the best one in the world. I think that's a little bit inevitable, and I'm probably guilty of, of a little bit of that myself. So I understand, you know, while I while I would say there's a bit of that, I, I still slightly sympathise, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, I think there's also an element of... He comes from a generation where he feels it should be all about the film and the story and, and um, the, the, the thing that, that they're trying to make, and it's, you know, the the financial side, the box office side is someone else's problem. I'm creative. I should be given the money and the freedom to make the best one I can make. And it should be someone else's problem, whether to, um, uh, you know, make, you know, make that successful. Um, and obviously I think he's evolved a little bit over the years. Cause I think he, part of the reason he worked with DiCaprio is he can get a great performance out of a great actor who he works well with, but also he's good box office and he helps get his film films made. So even he has had to acknowledge there's a certain way to make your films financially viable these days. Um, but also I think there's an element of, there's something distasteful in his eyes and his generation's eyes, I would say about films where you're already thinking about the, the lunchbox and the action figures. Yeah. In the script. That's not that's not necessarily just down to Marvel. Um, I don't. Think, I, to be honest, I don't think that's a fair criticism. We live in a much more commercialized environment now, where everything. Like I, I work in retail. I work in a supermarket, and I was putting out fucking. Um, I was putting out Christmas chocolates on like the the first of September. Mm-hmm. We just live in a market where everything's in a world where everything's pointed towards how we can make sales, not just from tickets. But yeah. from from everything and yeah, fuck it. Why 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 would Marvel not try you know sell a lunchbox with Thor on it or uh, you know a Black Panther outfit? I think I think it. I th- I, I, to be honest, the more we talk about it, the more pissed off I'm getting off. Of course, for making such a throwaway comment. Because yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah. And sorry, the, carry on. Is I'm, I'm the, on the, the, the yeah. is that I think part of the reason Scorsese is as pissed off as he is is that he has. You know, he has won Oscars. He has made films which have won other people's Oscars. He has made films which 
has inspired a whole new generation of filmmakers and, and film fans. And yet he has always found it a massive struggle to get his films made. And I think part of him sits there and thinks, why, why, should, why is it so hard? Well, what, what do I have to do to prove myself that I should get the money I want to make the film I want to make? And, and I think it's, uh, I, I think it's a, an element of frustration with the film industry generally. And you're right, it didn't start with Marvel. I mean, what I would say about Marvel is that if, if you're going to have a mainstream and if you're going to have films that generate um, action figures, merchandise, and theme park rides, um, it could be a lot worse because some of those Marvel films are really good. I mean, they come for a play, uh, from a place, those Marvel comics, where people have taken great care to actually write compelling stories. Everything yeah. from the X-Men to Spider-Man and, and things like that have, have that these are stories with moral dilemmas and everything else. And, and you know, my, my actually probably is if you're going to have a mainstream, it could be a lot worse than Marvel. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I just... Uh, my, but his, his concern is that, you know, it feels like it's all about that and it never, you know, and, and no one else gets a shot, which is weird when he's just kind of made one of the highest budget films he's ever made uh, with The Irishman, obviously. Yeah, but he insisted on doing that de-aging stuff with um, De Niro and... Uh, it was, uh, which was freaky. So he was. He, it's uh, yeah, and that that comment that Chadwick Boseman made was it? No, did he make the comment about Netflix, or was that just? Yeah, he he, ba- he basically said that um, he he was. I think he was trying. He was just trying to be balanced, and he said, you know, bearing in mind, Scorsese has just released a film in a very new way, and it's not going to be in theaters. And you know, the, the fact is, things change, and opportunities to do things in a new way. He, Scorsese got money and freedom in return for working with Netflix. And not everything that's new and not every new way of making a film and not every new wave of making a film is automatically bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying very hard not to go on a very loud and, you know, sweary rant about Scorsese here because he's, he's just, yeah, he's pissed me off. He's really pissed me off with the whole, oh, it's not cinema. Well, Netflix isn't cinema. Netflix is something that you stick on when you come home from work or you're eating your tea. You, you've, you've released something exclusive to watch on the screen, no bigger than, say, 45 inches so you you've and you basically sold out so you what well, you can you can move with the times and get money by watching something on uh, by making a film through netflix so you can move with the times but the type of films people watch they can't move with the times we can only watch a specific type of film and call it cinema that's a stupid view to have just say you don't like marvel that's fine you're allowed to have taste i didn't like hugo hugo was fucking garbage but i'm allowed to say that because i have taste i'm not gonna say hugo wasn't cinema because you could see it in a cinema by yeah. that definition by that definition the irishman wasn't cinema because you couldn't go and see it in a cinema it is an interesting point that says, you know, cinema is, is, is changing in ways that make it almost unrecognisable. And to, I, mean, I mean, to put this in a little bit of context, um, there's been a number of times through the years when cinema has changed in, in quite fundamental ways. Um, you know, up, up until like the, the, the mid to late 40s, you had what's been called the studio system, where the biggest stars and the biggest directors were... Um, yeah basically the employees of a studio exclusively. So if you were doing films with Paramount, you couldn't do a film with Universal, you couldn't do it from anywhere else. You did what you were told, yeah? And like the producers and executives were in complete control of what you did with your life, yeah? And, and that changed. The studio system broke up. And because big names like Hitchcock and Kubrick and people like that, they wanted the independence to make their films their way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who, who liked the studio system and were part of the studio system were frustrated at that change oh it's you know it's you know you've, you're gonna you're gonna lose a lot of, of good old you know uh, 
elements of, of the film industry by breaking this all apart and who do these prima donnas think they are? There was a lot of that. And on the one hand, there were a lot of great films made during the studio system, you know, Casablanca, The Maltese Falcon, you know, some of Hitchcock's early films, right? And then, but also a lot of people would argue that as the you know, 50s progressed and the 60s, there was a lot of genuine new classic films. Lawrence of, of Arabia probably wouldn't have been made in the studio era. You know, Hitchcock's Vertigo and North by Northwest, you know, wouldn't have been made in the studio era because Hitchcock had to fight for, you know, creative control back then and he, he wasn't having that. Then television changed everything and, and, and films went through a new crisis and they started throwing out things like 3D and CinemaScope to try and emphasise the difference between large screen and small screen. So there's been always changes. There's always been disruption. And Scorsese himself was one of the disruptors of the cinema industry in, in the 70s because there they came a point where the studios were, they were struggling to connect with the audience. There was this perception that the guys in the boardroom making films were you know, old white men who didn't really know what the, the, the masses wanted. And people like Scorsese and Coppola and George Lucas and Spielberg came through and said, well, we know what films to make in this era, so stand back and watch us. And it became the era of the great filmmaker, the auteurs who were in control of everything. And, and there were plenty of people who were unhappy that, about that new wave. Yeah. And the thing is that there's always change because before that decade was even over, you had Jaws and Star Wars and the blockbuster was born and you've got this whole new, it's a constantly moving flux. Home videos come along, the internet's come along, Netflix has come along. There's always a challenge, there's always a new issue and there's always people who are unhappy about the way things are going. And I probably think that where Scorsese was that I think he was happier when there were mainstream films making lots of money and then someone would give him some of that money to make whatever film he wanted to make. And there was that balance. There's always been that balance between like mainstream and independent. And he's obviously got this perception now that the studios who've got, got more and more corporate over the years, ever since like big holding companies start to buy up the studios, I, you know, there's this feeling now that you've got like Disney owns almost everything now. And there's this corporate stranglehold on creativity. I personally think, how do I put this? I personally think he's chosen the wrong target in Marvel, right? Because I think Marvel makes some really interesting films. Yeah, yeah well, I was going to get into that because it, I'm still pissed off, but you carry on so I can calm down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I think the what I would say is I think Scorsese has a point about the the boardroom and the corporate like um, the corporate goals of making films has probably got too much of the power at the moment, and there is an imbalance between the people who just want to put out lots and lots of um, pre-packaged product that's the same as you know that came out last year and the creative people want to do something new i think there is an imbalance there i think there is this giant corporate media stranglehold um but i would i would argue that marvel is not the marvel is not the problem right yeah see i the problem i have with him seemingly because he finishes his his, uh, article saying for anyone who dreams of making movies or who's just starting out, the situation at this moment is brutal and inhospitable to art. And the actor simply writing those words fills me with terrible sadness. It's like, well, that's not fucking Marvel's fault. Marvel make, make Marvel make a specific type of films. They've basically looked at the, the works of um, Stan Lee and what's the name of it? Something Kirby. Uh, yeah, Jack Kirby. Yeah. Uh, Abby Adams, the other one, yeah. All these people, they've looked at the works and gone, you know what, we're going to make films about this because they tell interesting stories about interesting characters. And for him to sit there and say that's not cinema, I mean... Okay, so before Black Panther, who's the only black superhero? You can't even you can't even think of one. You can't even think of one. I can't think of one. You, you look at Black Panther and what a 
a phenomenon, a cultural phenomenon that film was. I watched it again yeah. recently. It's an excellent film. And it's not just a, it's not like they've just taken a Marvel formula where it's like, this is a superhero. This is the big bad. He's got to go and defeat it. Blah, blah. There's so many layers to that. And so my one of my favorite lines out of any film ever, not just Marvel, is the bit at the end, spoiler, when, have you seen Black Panther? Yeah, yeah, mate. So when Correct. Eric, when Eric Killmonger's, he's basically, he's been defeated by Black Panther. And he's talking to T'Challa, and T'Challa's like, "Look, we can save you." And he's like, "What? And live my life um, as a like as a prisoner? Just uh, you know, th- like I throw me into the water like my ancestors who knew it was better to die than live a life of bondage." That's yeah. a Marvel film, and you're telling me it's not fucking cinema? Fuck you, Martin Scorsese, you dickhead. Sorry, I think it's ridiculous yeah. for him to go after Marvel to go after Marvel when I'm looking at the lowest rated on lowest rated movies on uh, IMDb. You've got Super Babies, Baby Geniuses Two, Birdemic, Shock and Terror, Battlefield Earth. Mm. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians Nin- Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain like why are we yeah, the adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl 3D it's like that's are we talking about taste or are we talking about what cinema is and what cinema because it sounds like cinema is just being part of Scorsese's exclusive club of that type of film you know what I mean not the big blockbuster but you know stories about you know real life people like you know Jake LaMotta and things like that and Howard Hughes and Jordan Belfort and you know p- people like that is that the only story we can tell because you no know, cinema is such a, a broad scope that you can when you look at when you look at what's coming into the cinema it's like oh well I like Christopher Nolan films uh, I want to go see that I wanted to go see Tenet I was like, but I also like Marvel films I think, I'm pretty sure I've seen every Marvel film except the Eric Bana Hulk and the Edward Norton Hulk I've mm. seen every Marvel film I like seeing that. I like going and seeing, like, you know, it's like I've been to see um, Tarantino. I've, I've been to see um, Scorsese at the cinema. I've seen different films at the cinema. And cinema is, it's like it's like a big umbrella of different types of films. And it's like, you want to go and see a comedy. Oh, no, I want to go see an action. You want to go, you're, you're taking the missus to go and see a rom-com. And just saying, oh, because I didn't like a film, or I don't, they're not for me, they're more like theme parks than movies. I don't think they're cinema. It's like, well, that no bullshit. They are. They're made to be seen on a cinema screen it's just because you didn't like it is isn't a yeah. reason to say it's not cinema I, I really don't understand where the guy's coming from at all yeah and, and i think it's a case he's, he's misdirected his his aim in my humble opinion but what's he because... what's he annoyed at what's he annoyed at the fact that he can't get he doesn't get funding for his films so i'm sorry but sorry but scorsese doesn't make those films marvel films cost 300 million because it's a lot of it is computer generated the films he made he, did he need did he need 150 million to make wolf of wall street he only needed a lot of money to make The Irishman because he wanted to de-age all of his favourite actors into one film. He could have picked people that weren't that age. He could have picked other actors and actresses. But he wanted to de-age his favourite actors. And Robert De Niro isn't looking 50 anymore. He looks about 75. I, don't, I just I don't know. Why, why are you so bitter? Times change. And there's things like cinema. Everything changes. Do Are footballers bitter that Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi get better you know, training and better facilities to use than Pele and Gavincha and all these people? No, times change. You can't be bitter about it because things have changed i don't i, I don't I, maybe you can explain to me but i don't understand what he's bitter about so i th- I, th- I think his bitterness stems from the fact that he he has struggled to get his films made and he, here's why i think he's misdirected his his frustration but i think his frustration is real just if you see what i mean right marvel films cost a lot of money yeah but they make a lot of money and yeah. there is nothing stopping disney studios taking some of the substantial profits that Marvel makes, building it into the, um, the the conditions of the contracts that they make for the big blockbuster films, the way David Putnam did with Columbia back in the 80s, and say, we are going to use some of the profits that we're making from these films to 
support new films, new artists, new ideas, independent stuff. We're making money from these things. Let's give some of that back. For the same reason that you could say it's nobody's fault that there's more, much, much more money in the Premier League these days and there's you know, more facilities and payment for players. But there's nothing stopping the, the structure of that league being a bit more financially supportive of the lower leagues. Do you see what I mean? It's not Marvel's fault. But in the boardroom, one might argue that they could take the profits of those films and give more opportunities to a more diverse range of filmmakers. Yeah, but that doesn't... They, they do. Like, they, they gave, you know... Black Panther's director was Ryan Coogler, who's, like, he's like what, 34, 35? Yeah. I mean, when's the last time you heard of a 30... Well, when did um, Black Panther come out? When's the last time you heard of a 32-year-old um, black director directing a film that made over a billion dollars? He was 30... Probably 31 or 32 when he was directing Black Panther. When, yeah. when did you know about that? It's... And, and again, we put this into context, right? Scorsese's route into making films was a relatively new route into making films. He's, he's regarded as a film school director. Off the top of my head, I, I don't know if he actually went to film school, um, but he's from that generous di- directors who became very cine literate, yeah? yeah? And then he made a couple of films, or at least one film for Roger Corman. Have, have you heard of Roger Corman? I haven't, but continue. So Roger Corman is regarded as the king of the B-movie. So when the studio system kind of broke up, um, the idea that you could make a small film and a big film and the small film would be on the be on the bill with the big film. So yeah. new directors got an opportunity to make a film because their short film was on before, you know, the, the big Humphrey Bogart or James Cagney film. Yeah. That broke up, but there was still a, an appetite for smaller films, independent films, drive-in movies. And Roger Corman was the king of that. And he would give young directors... Ron Howard is another one. Lots of, uh, lots of like new directors of that generation came up through Roger Corman. He said, look, here is this much money, yeah? And as long as the film's got a car chase, a pretty girl, and a shootout, you can make whatever film you make within that. And the B-movie was an opportunity for young, interesting directors to show that they could do something, learn how to make a film, and then go and do something bigger. And right. then in the 70s, when the studio system opened out, they were looking for like new auteurs. Scorsese was able to capitalize on that because he was the young, interesting director whose time had come. And I think part of the problem for Scorsese is that he's not that guy anymore. And Ryan Coogler is, you know, that maybe um, Greta Gerwig is because she's, you know, made a couple of independent films and then decided that Little Women is the way for her to open up her, her appeal a little bit. It, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about um, Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry is, you know, I, I don't, I still don't know quite Terrible. how he's Yeah, I, don't, I still don't know quite how he's done it because he seems to have done like these films about like a, a pantomime dame. And these kind of like straight to straight to cable TV, you know, uh, uh, morality plays. But he's gone and made himself a t- ton of money, and now he owns a film studio. And there are different ways now to pay your dues. And Ryan Coogler has gone and you know made a couple of interesting films, including with uh, Michael B. Jordan. And then he got the chance to do Black Panther, and now he, you know, pe- people play the system so that they can, um, you know, be successful and 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 get the opportunities they want to get. And like you say, it's changed. And Scorsese, I think he just feels a little bit like a man out of time. I can understand being bitter, but I, just, I don't understand. You, you just kind of let that shit go. Like, you know, it's, you know, you've had, you've had your time. Okay, it was harder for you to make films, but the, lots of things were harder to do in the 70s. That, 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 and not just like for cinema. I mean, he, he just seems a bit, not, not, I don't know how it feels to you, but, you know, how do you think people like Greta Gerwig and, um, Anna, Anna DuVernay feel like when they've, they've tried to make films, 
you know, direct, like female directors have had a lot more issues trying to make big films and getting the recognition they deserve than Martin Scorsese. I know he's had his things with the Oscars where he's not winning that recognition, but films are harder to make. Okay, if you need to get into the into the industry a certain way, like, you know, see, there's similar things with YouTube. You know, the way you get big on YouTube is like there's obviously you create like a fake drama and therefore you become popular, you get subscribers. So if you have to make a B-movie B movie to get into the film industry, then, you know, so be it. You know, people get their lucky break with in a heaps of different ways, whether it's, you know, like, you know, the cast of Skins and how many of them have been in, you know, massive films. You know, Nicholas Holt, Jack O'Connell, Dev Patel, you know, people like that. I don't understand why. If he's just being bitter, he's just being bitter. But I'd expect better of Martin Scorsese. I just don't think it's like a, I don't think it's a way you conduct yourself. Like, oh. I don't think this is cinema. It's not for me. It's like, well, I don't. I didn't think Hugo was cinema because it was garbage. Like, it's just, it's just, you know, it's petulant, and that's what I expect more from a director, like you said, who is very cineliterate and has made some. Like, other than Hugo, he's not really got many blemishes on his film career, personally. Because I thought Hugo was shit. Um, but that, again, that's taste. You, you like Hugo? You thought Hugo was all right? Yeah, I thought it was all right. I, I wouldn't thought put it up there with his first films. I thought it was shit. But I loved Wolf of Wall Street. I loved. Um, strangely, Gangs of New York is my favorite Scorsese film, and it's not. I, I know it's not even his best. It's just my favorite because um, his yeah. best is probably Raging Bull or you know Taxi Driver. You know, it's a it's a case of taste. That's what's pissed me off. It's like, oh, I don't think this is cinema. It's like I get it's your opinion, Scorsese, but it just sounds like you're coming out and being bitter. You can't have that opinion when you're releasing a film exclusively on Netflix. It's stupid. It's like Christopher Nolan said the same. Like Christopher Nolan is so adamant that you don't convert to digital. And he, he's one that uses is it seventy millimeter. Or does he convert? No, it's Tarantino that uses seventy millimeter. Yeah, no, no. Nolan, Nolan, and Tarantino. See, this is, this is an interesting thing. It's just thanks to Nolan and Tarantino, there are still films being made on celluloid, and it would be a shame if celluloid was wiped out altogether. On the other hand, it's very easy for people who can command that kind of respect and money in the in the film industry, like oh, yeah. Tarantino and Nolan, to insist on. Um, filming on celluloid because if someone's trying to make an independent film digital opens up so many more opportunities i mean i don't think it's ever going to completely catch on but people have made films that have ended up being shown in the uh you know the festival circuit and the independent circuit that have been basically filmed on an iphone like an, with it with, with with attachments and software on it and that's made possible by digital and i think it it's opened out a lot more opportunities on digital so the, the fact is i don't think you can take a, a ask a 70 five-year-old guy to to identify the problem and the solution in in the 21st century about what needs to happen next i think he's i think he's called out a frustration and he's he's totally misdirected it i think there is a case to answer that says disney and some of the big studios could probably look at trying to make the world of cinema a bit more interesting providing yeah. more support for that so i agree with that the disney are literally buying everyone they've bought marvel they've bought star wars they've bought fox and that's where it just it seems to become a bit kind of beige, where everything is painted by the same brush. But even then, as much as I disagree with Disney buying everything, I think that the films that Marvel released post the takeover of Marvel have actually been better than the films that were released prior to the takeover by Disney. I don't know if that's anything yeah, to do I mean, with Disney or it's just with the fact that we've got better special effects or the actors have just grown into their roles and stuff like that. But I think... I think I think it's because Marvel Studios have got a, a complete like command of what they're trying to do, 
and Disney just went, okay, that seems to be working. I'll, I'll let you crack on. But, but I'm, um, reading his, I'm reading his opinion now, and he basically just says that, what's my problem? Why not just let superhero films and other franchise films be? The reason is simple. In many places around this country and around the world, franchise films are now your primary choice if you want to see something on the big screen. It's a perilous time in film exhibition. There are fewer independent theatres than ever. The equation has flipped, and streaming has become the primary delivery system. Still, I don't know how I don't know a single filmmaker who doesn't want to design films for the big screen to be projected for audience in theatres. That includes me, and I'm speaking as someone who's just completed a picture for Netflix, and it alone allowed us to make the Irishman the way we needed to, and for that I'll always be thankful. We have a theatrical window, which is great. Would I like the picture to play on more big screens for a longer period of time? Of course I would. But no matter how you make your movie with, the fact is that most multiplexes are crowded with franchise pictures. If you're going to tell me that it's simply a matter of supply and demand and give the people what they want, I'm going to disagree. It's a chicken and egg issue. If people are going, are, are, if people are given only one kind of thing and endlessly sold one kind of thing of course they're going to want more of that one kind of thing but you might argue can't they just go home and watch anything else they want on netflix itunes or hulu sure anywhere but on the big screen where the filmmaker intended her or his picture to be seen so that's a lot i've just thrown at you there but do you know what i think i think he makes some really really good points there apart from the bit where he's blaming it all on marvel but the thing is, he's just—he's not—he's not—he's he basically clarifies it and basically says it's not Marvel; it's just franchises. But the thing is, right? Franchise films get more of a bollocking than most films these days. You know, uh, you know, there's even Marvel films. He seems to be thinking like people only go and see Marvel films and people only enjoy Marvel films. I thought Captain Marvel was a bit weak. Um, I didn't enjoy Avengers: Age of Ultron. I didn't like certain Marvel films that were, you know, just a bit. Tame. I enjoyed Civil War. I liked Infinity War. I liked Endgame. My favorite Marvel films: Thor, Ragnarok. Which to go back to your topic of giving people opportunities, that was directed by Taika Waititi, who's he's Polynesian, isn't he? He's a yeah. He's a Polynesian, Polynesian and part Jewish. So Polynesian Jew from New Zealand directing the best Marvel film, in my opinion. Cinemas are clogged with franchise films, um, and it takes a director with a certain pedigree to kind of bring it, bring it, uh, break that monotony. So, you know, people, we got excited for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it's a Tarantino. We were looking forward to Tenet because it's a Christopher Nolan. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where it does seem like it's a lot of, I mean, obviously there's, there's nothing in the cinema. It doesn't look like there's going to be anything in the cinema ever again, given the, uh, the current situation. But, you know, people still watch films. You know, people still, I think, I think people have their own kind of, like 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 Isle of Dogs. I didn't want to go and see Isle of Dogs by Wes Anderson after Grand Budapest Hotel because I thought Grand Budapest Hotel was shit. And it's like you know, um, I don't know that's just because I've been raised on more crowd pleasing films. You know, like my first film was Toy Story two. So those that's the type of film I've been dealing with. You know, kind of family friendly. Like everyone can go see you know Star Wars. Everyone goes to see the new Marvel film. Everyone goes to see Pixar. So I don't know if that's just my taste, but I thought Grand Budapest Hotel was shit, and that put me off Wes Anderson. But I still went to see Grand Budapest Hotel. But I Love Dogs still has 133,986 ratings on IMDb. So that, that shows that and IMDb isn't an indication of how many people have watched it, because I don't rate films on IMDb. I don't know if you rate films. I know my mum doesn't you know, do that type of stuff. No, but if, but if you take it as a polling, if you take it as a polling sample, it gives you an idea that's of quite, films that people that's are responding That's quite a lot, to. especially for a very niche um, filmmaker like Wes Anderson. That's a ve- that's a very that's a very good um, amount of votes for you know someone like that. 
So I, I don't understand where you're coming from. Yes, franchise films do take up the cinema multiplex. So is that a case of that he's annoyed that certain films don't make money? You know, he wants more money to go towards other films? Because I feel like the Oscars don't, you know, just throw praise towards Marvel films. You know, when's the last time a Marvel... I don't know there's a Marvel film ever been nominated for Best Picture, Black Panther? Is that it? Um, well, it's, that's the only Marvel film that's been nominated for Best Picture. If you want to take a franchise film that's been nominated for Best Picture, yeah, there might oh. have been others. There might have been other films that you are that you would call strictly speaking, speaking part of a franchise that were nominated for Best Picture, but it is rare. I just, I, I, it's just, I don't understand this kind of elitist attitude of like, oh well, these films are popular. Like, yeah, they're popular because they're fun. Like, you know, you know how much you know effort you have to, you know, put your like, you know how, what mindset you have to be in to watch a David Fincher film. I can't watch a David Fincher film every every week or every month, but I can happily stick on a Marvel or a Star Wars or you know, does Indiana Jones count as like a franchise film? I don't know, but you know what I mean. Like, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to watch Gone Girl regularly. Those films are brutal, but you know, I still appreciate that David Fincher's made some excellent films. I can't watch Zodiac, you know, all the time, but I still think you know it's not it's not a franchise film. But I'll still watch it. It's you know, I mean, I think it's. I think it's the type of film that they're making. You know, I don't, I don't want to watch you know these types of films all the time. That does that is that bad? Like, I don't want to watch Seven all the time. You know, certain films you just you don't want to watch all the time. Whereas, you know, you can sit down with you know, you know, the wife or you know your missus and you can you just chuck on a Marvel film. But do you want to tell do you want to tell you oh you do you want to watch The Irishman? It's three and a half hours long. And it's about Jimmy Hoffa. Fuck off. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll watch it once. But I'm not watching it again and again and again. And I'm sorry, but that's just that's just the human mindset. I think it's just a case of how you appeal to your audience and frankly you're more likely to go and see a film about spider-man because it's you're more likely to everyone is going to enjoy it you know how, how can you expect people to go everyone to go and enjoy grand budapest hotel no it's just a case of the, the type of film you're making isn't as popular and that's just how times change i don't know you can't be bitter about it because frankly you can't really be you can't really be annoyed at that it's a film that it's a type of film that isn't as popular as star wars did anyone moan about Star Wars, you know, back in, you know, the 80s for people going to watch it, even though it definitely would have made the most money out of any film that year? I guarantee Empire Strikes Back made a heap more money than um, Raging Bull did. But that's because Raging Bull isn't as accessible as a film as Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. So l- let me let me try and get to where I think um, Scorsese is coming from, or the underneath the things where I think Scorsese has got wrong, a genuine issue that he's raised and what we might like, what, what that might mean. Because where, where I think um, it, it, he does have a point is independent films are finding it harder. These things are getting edged out. And I think while everything you say is correct about, of course, there's always been a mainstream and there's always been mainstream films that people watch more. There's always been mainstream films that people will watch over and over again. I mean, I talk all the time about saying, I'm going to go and watch The Terminator again. Um, and, and there's a film on my shelf that I should probably watch instead. And, and there, there's a reason for that. There's a reason I've watched Terminator loads of times is because it's a terrific film that, that that you can enjoy in that way. But I think it's it's one of those things where you say that's absolutely right so long as those less accessible films, so long as those more independent films, so long as those kind of harder films still have a chance to get made at all. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And there's an element of this zero-sum game that corporate especially corporate America plays where they just want to wipe everything out, but their product, I think if, you know, that's the bit that, you know, the art, the anger should be aimed at. That's the bit that, that the argument should be aimed at because Disney could support, um, you know, these big studios could support those, those films more. They could say, you know what? And they, they used to do it a lot more. They always used to have like a studio that does more independent stuff. And they would say, yeah, here's some money. You know, here's, uh, 
because they know the prestige and the awards that come with that, they'll say, yeah, I know, we made a big mainstream film that made a lot of money, but this prestige director deserves a chance as well. And they, they like to bask in the reflected glory of having supported great artistic directors as well and great writers as well. So they'd send a bit of money that way. And I think his concern that that is being lost is, uh, I think, is worth mentioning. Richard Dreyfus said something quite interesting about making films these days. He said he was working on a film recently and they they were hoping to get some extra shots of the sky or you know some additional time spent filming certain sky and stars shots on a relatively low-budget film. And it seemed quite a reasonable thing to ask for. And they basically said, sorry, we just don't have the money for that. He says, well, you don't have the money for that? I said, Look, mate, we've got no money. Have you seen what, you know, have you seen the catering on this film? You know, we've got no money. And, and he said that there seems to be this massive gap now. You can either make a massive film for $200 million or you can basically make a film for, you know, absolutely fuck all on, on small cameras and, and, and hope for the best and hope to get picked up at festivals. And I think that, that gap between big and small is the problem. So I think Scorsese's got it wrong pointing at Marvel because in my view, you could fix all of those problems, yeah? And you would still have a mainstream. And looking back over my film, you know, film viewing life, there's considerably worse things that have been the mainstream than Marvel. I think Marvel's absolutely fine. If that's the mainstream and there's other films being made as well in, in good numbers, I've got no problem with it being Marvel. They're good films. I go and see most of them at cinema. Um, so I don't think Marvel is the problem, but I do think, and I keep going back to this, those pricks in the boardroom they yeah, are I, and you know i think it's it's such a multi-layered issue that it's not just you know marvel making films they want to make it like well, what marvel marvel are a company that are making films about their comics there's nothing wrong with that they're going to be more crowd-pleasing than you know more niche topics like jimmy hoffa for example but to be fair to be fair to marvel there's plenty of things they've done in their comics where it would have been a lot easier to just be kind of straightforward you know much more mainstream much more standard than they are i mean think about when they did black panther in like whether it's the late 60s or early 70s how provocative was that to call a superhero black panther yeah. in america in the late 60s yeah. early 70s it's, i think they, they've not, they're, they're not they're not the problem when it comes to you know interesting nuanced characters the idea that being a superhero could be like make you an outcast in the world things like the x-men and even x-men 3 which is like one of the worst X-Men films, the idea that there'd be people out there trying to cure them. That's quite an interesting yes. idea. Why should you be cured of being who you are? That actually has resonance in society. So if you're going to have mainstream films, and I think you are going to, and I have no problem with there being loads of mainstream films, better them than some of the, some of the shit that came out in the 90s, man. Don't blame Marvel, you know? It's... They, they're probably the far more acceptable face of mainstream films that we've seen. Well, in the yeah, I mean, mainstream films aren't always, you know the pinnacle of filmmaking or the pinnacle of a cinema experience because the, the latest Star Wars films were fucking shit. They were crap. And they're, that's a massive franchise. That's When I think of franchise, I think of Star Wars as the ultimate franchise. They've made so much money, but I can still hate their films. And in fact, only, I'd say, three out of the Skywalker sagas, to speak, are actually any good. The other six are shit. You can still you can still hate a franchise film, but it's, your people are allowed to have their interest in the mainstream media. I think it's not even a pro, it's not it's not even a problem with Marvel themselves. I think it's you know people in the boardroom trying to make money. That's what that's what the film business is now. How do we make money and how do we keep making money? Because they can't just churn out a shit film like Michael Bay did with the Transformers. Although miraculously he made a lot of money, they have to make the story interesting, and that's what Marvel films are. They they are interesting yeah. stories and they make money, and therefore people keep coming back for more. The Fast and Furious again is another anomaly because all of those films are shit. 
no, I don't care who you are. The Fast and Furious films are shit. And people still go and see them because there's cars and there's Vin Diesel just going, family. People like that for some reason. It's probably just the kind of aspect of cars and shooty, shooty, bang, bang. People still go and see it. But Marvel actually, I personally think, try and make films that are you know, more interesting to watch. I think originally, you know, Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2 was literally, you know, like, how do we, how do we use all the CGI budget and make a, you know, average film? Whereas the latest films, you know, you've got Thor Ragnarok was hilarious. Infinity War and Endgame, you know, the part one, part two, I thought they were, they were good films. They didn't, they didn't really touch on, like, touchy issues, but it was just, it was a good watch. I think it's down to viewership or what people, not maybe not viewership, but what the viewers want to see. And unfortunately, the market for indie films is just slowly fading away. And sometimes that's just what happens. And in fact, although we've slagged them off for saying that you can't, you can't be slagging off um, people like Marvel for you know not making cinema when Netflix literally isn't cinema because you watch it on your telly. Netflix is great for giving those opportunities to small directors. You know, there's so many films I've watched just recently that I would consider to be kind of more niche and in the line of the type of film Scorsese wants to see. Thanks to Netflix, The Five Bloods by Spike Lee, The Two Popes, which I know was a Netflix original, but you know, a film about the two popes isn't, you know, isn't a film yeah. about, you know, isn't like, you know, a franchise massive film. That would be, I consider, that, although it's made by Netflix, Netflix are that kind of weird bridging gap between indie and the mainstream. That's the way I see it. They're they're a massive company with a lot. Yeah, of- I, I know what you mean, mate. I know what you mean. I think I think there is an opportunity for for um for indie films. And I think when you when you think about independent films, a lot of independent films are not always seen on the big screen. You know, they're shown at festivals and they're a good calling card. And the first Born Identity was film was directed by a guy called Doug Lyman, who made his name with a number of independent films. And not all of those independent films are very well known, but the fact that he made his name making them, and those films got shown at festivals, gave him the opportunity to to take part in a series of films that ended up being yeah. really good. And part of the reason they were really good is because an independent director with a new look and, and feel and, and, and style uh, cracked cracked the mainstream. So there is definitely a place for independent films. Like you say, times change. I think there is a way that you can make cinema better because while, and, and you would still have Marvel because Marvel's not the problem. I think there's a, there's a way to maybe look at this and how it could be better. Um, uh, you know, and I think Netflix is... Netflix is really interesting because I think they're a big part of the solution, but that they, they can be a little bit of a part of the problem as well. Um, and I think it's interesting. It's like, I think, especially given what's going on in the world right now, cinema is a little bit of a crossroads. Maybe this is an opportunity for them to kind of go into a huddle and say, well, is there a way to find a better balance for stuff like this? And say, here's the mainstream and that's great. And here's like alternative films and that's yeah, great. I think this is the, the situation um, right now is a great moment for them to do a little control alt delete you know reboot kind of thing yeah um yeah i think netflix is the best opportunity for these films i just you don't want to go and like what i'm trying to think of different indie films i've seen i would i saw seven psychopaths the martin mcdonough which i thought was shit but um loads of people loved it but i had to see that i went to see it in uh, the the local independent theater in aberdeen the bellman because I'm going to give them a little shout out because mm. uh, they'll, they'll definitely be struggling right now. You don't need to see an independent film on a screen that big. You know, there's n- there's there's nothing mm. like the reason we go to IMAX to watch films like Interstellar and Tenet and you know the new Avengers is because they are spectacles and it is nice to see them on a big screen. But you know, it's actually sometimes it's quite nice to just stick on 
you know, a kind of like hidden gem of a film like The Five Bloods. And think, you know what? I didn't need to see that on the big screen, but I really enjoyed just sitting on my couch and, you know, finding a film that was like, oh, I was really surprised at how good that was. As much as I feel bad for independent cinema, it's it's just one of those things. It's This sounds bad, but it's one of those things where people go to the cinema to watch a spectacle. They go to be thrilled. You know, you've got cinemas with like 4DX where it's like these seats that move and you get sprayed with water and, you know, you actually get punched in the face by Captain America. You know, it's one of those things where... What you're talking about, I get where you're coming from, but if I could if I could offer an analogy, I think this concept is like the difference between going to see the biggest band in the world in, in a massive stadium, you know? And, you know, it's one of the great frontmen, whether it's Freddie Mercury or Mick Jagger or, you know, or, you know, depending on who you like, Beyonce or anyone else who knows how to work, a massive crowd. And having 60,000 people in the palm of the singer's hand in that massive spectacle is is one way of, of watching something. There's another kind of live experience where you might go and see a smaller band in a much smaller yeah. venue. And it would be weird watching the big band in the small venue, and it would be pretty weird watching the small band die on their ass trying to play Wembley yeah. Stadium, right? So I still I think there's an element of independent cinema that doesn't have to be an IMAX, but it would be a shame if the only way to watch those films was yeah. at home. Well, I'm not saying that's the only way. I mean, right now, the only way we can watch those films at, is at home. But if the... Yeah. Right now, that's... Yeah, that's why some of these independent cinemas have got slightly smaller screens and a more intimate feel, and they've got a bar outside, and that's cool. There's a place called the Curzon in Russell Square in London, which does yeah. all of that, and the screens are actually smaller, and, and and the rooms are smaller, but you still get that communal. But what I'm saying is, is that maybe, like you say, like your way to get into the industry back in the day was you make a B movie with a pair of tits and a car chase, and that's you. You're, you, if you make a decent one, you might get into you know making a two hundred million dollar film. I think Netflix is maybe what well, that's possibly a solution where. An up-and-coming director wants to direct a really niche film about, you know, a guy living in a council estate trying to make his way in the world, and that's the that's the topic of the film. That's obviously, you know, not a big franchise blockbuster, and that's an independent film. And the only way for that film to be seen is being put on Netflix or Prime Video or maybe Sky Go or whatever, you know, that that kind of niche area. And then um, that that director gets a little bit of recognition, and then they make more films. And then, the, you know, they get seen and they get making films and then those films are shown in cinema screens. But right now, the, there's not as much demand to go and see. I'm sorry, it's, it's not Marvel's fault that people just... It's not. I mean, none, none, of this, none of this, in my opinion, is Marvel's fault. I think that there is, a, there is a discussion to be had about whether Netflix could support the live cinema experience a bit more, you know, the, 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 you know showing their films a bit more. But I don't, that's, that that isn't Scorsese's point. Scorsese's point is Marvel should, uh, Marvel's going to make a film that makes $2 billion. They should donate a certain amount of money from their box office revenue to helping smaller filmmakers. That's not his point. He just sounds bitter. If that was his point, I'd be like, yeah, 100% agree, but that's not. He's just kind of like, oh, there's... there's yeah, I, I think I think I think how I'd sum it up is I think um, there is a problem there, but I think Scorsese's reaction was the wrong reaction to the problem. Yeah, and I don't even. The weird thing is, I think he's just said it on a whim, and the fact that in his clarification, he's not really kind of tried to say. He's not even tried to not apologize for it, but you know what I mean. Uh, look, I think I think he's got to the point where he doesn't give a fuck, and he said what he said, and he's pissed off with it, and there you go. Yeah, I. I would agree. I think it's a it's a case of what people want to see. It's just a case of people have different tastes now. Like back in the day, Hitchcock was the biggest thing. Hitchcock, although you can't say Hitchcock's films are like Marvel films, Hitchcock was the Marvel or the Star Wars back in his day. Everyone wanted to see those films, and then you know it moves on, and everyone wanted to see the Spielberg, and everyone wanted to see 
you know, the film Spielberg, and then you get ones like Tarantino. You're absolutely right. There's always there's always the film that's got all the world's sort of got the wind behind it and everyone's weight behind it, and then there's films well, that haven't. And and down the years, you might you'll you'll come back and go, yeah, there were films that were overlooked from that era. That's the way it goes. And I think all all I'm all I'm thinking is, I I don't think we should be tearing the whole thing up so that you don't have great mainstream films anymore because cinema dies if there isn't something that the masses want to see. But I think it would be a shame if those other films didn't get made and seen as well. Yeah. Well, the the thing is, like, did any did you know when Hitchcock was the biggest thing? Who was another director making films that weren't as popular say Akira Kurosawa I think that could be a good example his films were shown at you know the you know the Venice Venice Film Festival didn't it didn't um, Rashomon win Rashomon won yeah. at the yeah absolutely and, and there's always an element of the best films being made in a foreign language found it a lot harder back then there were there would have been smaller independent directors there was you know Ida Lupino was a female director who deserved more time and didn't get it um Douglas Sirk made certain films. You know, he was he was popular with certain audiences, but never as big as Hitchcock. There's always people that are never as big as the big. Yeah, guy. and that's the, that's the thing. I think they just it goes in cycles. I'm sure there were heaps of smaller films made in the 50s and 60s when Hitchcock was at the peak of his powers, and people were probably a little bit better. It's like, oh, why are people going to see these Hitchcock films when I've made a film that I think is good to, to watch as well? Is it because people like going to see the Hitchcock? They like the thrill of something that was new. Marvel is still relatively new. I know that what was the first Marvel film? Spider Man One with Tobey Maguire back, the, the superhero fights the big bad. So I imagine it's just, a, you know, it just it just goes it goes in cycles, unfortunately. It just, it does. And, you know, in the, in the 90s, you know, from the 70s to the 90s, it was everyone to see the next Spielberg, and now it's everyone wants to see the next Nolan film. It just goes there. And I bet people look at Chris Nolan's like, he's just thrown 200 million at Tenet, which people, I didn't think Tenet was as, was that great. Um, but I imagine there's heaps of people that's like, well, yeah, yeah there, are, there are people who don't, they, they think that Christopher Nolan leaves them cold and they, they don't understand why lots of people want to see them. Like you say, it, these things go in cycles, right? And if there's another cycle in 20, 30 years' time and we look back at this era of Marvel and we're somewhere else, but with a thriving film industry, then great. Do you know what I mean? I think sometimes people are just a bit unnerved at the moment that it feels like, you know, are we still going to have cinema in five years? Well, well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And hopefully, and hopefully that's only a temporary yeah, feeling. Yeah, I mean... It, it does sound like Scorsese is just being a bit bitter. And I'm not going to apologise for this in my temper because Hugo was shit. So I think what we've got to in this is that, you know, cinema changes a lot, you know, keeps changing over the years. Times are changing. And there are some things about the way things are changing at the moment that are a bit of a concern. There are also some things about the way cinema is changing which open up new and interesting opportunities. Um, I think I, I think Scorsese, for me, Scorsese's frustration was real, but I think he directed it at, at the wrong target and in the wrong way. I think what it's highlighted is there is a bit of concern about a, a total dominance of the mainstream, um, but that Marvel is not the worst aspect of that. Marvel is actually perhaps one of the better things that we've had as mainstream films in, in, in many years. Um, I think perhaps in future, if we could see more of these Netflix-type films or these more interesting-type films still available in cinemas, and if we could find some way to support cinemas so they get through this difficult time, I think that would be a lot better, um, but but I think yeah, I, I, you know it, it's probably right. There will always be a mainstream, and there will always be like less less seen films, and that's fine. Those less films find their own currency of prestige and loyal followers. We uh, all I will say is I hope that continues, even if the way it continues is perhaps different to the way it used to be. Where, where, I mean, where, how do you feel about the conversation? I think that I. Had it, mate? 
100% agree with everything you've said um, in terms of hoping that the cinema industry continues, maybe just not in the way we expect it to. Um, although I think I I can understand to some extent Oscar says he's better. I think he's just got to kind of move with the times the same way cinema has to move with the times. But yeah, no, I I agree. I think it's yeah. it's all about adapting. And I, th- I feel like oh, certainly everything going right now with you know this world with uh, the cine world news and things like that, it's, you know, it's obviously going to have to adapt and hopefully cinema's still there at the end of it. Yeah. Well, that, that's all I think we've got time for this uh, this month on the big conversation. I think the uh, I think the Adamsons have solved another problem for you. Uh, next time we'll tackle the Middle East. Ah, uh, forty-five minutes that one. Right, you are. That's all for the October special edition of the Double Real Film Podcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks to my special guest James Adamson for his continuing participation in the greatest team of namesakes in the amateur film podcast world. The next regular episode of the podcast will be released on November 18th, with all the regular features you've come to know and love, but in a new and improved format. The next time we have a special edition, we will announce it in the socials and in the main episode. The podcast was recorded and edited in Audacity and Anchor FM, and anything that sounded good was down to them, and anything that sounded crap was down to me. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod, which closes out the podcast. That's all for now. See you next time.